Josh. Appreciate it, Matt. Mr. Cresco, yeah, like Matt said, I've worked with Matt for many, many, many years now. Um, you know, if you guys know any people that want a job, please let me know. Um, you know, let me know. Jobs, jobs, jobs. We're always hiring. Um, had to get my little punch in for Matt. Just a show of hands, though, so I know kind of who's all in the room. Um, how many of you guys actually own your own business? Raise your hand. Okay, cool. So we got a lot of entrepreneurs. How many of you guys are trying to start your own business within the next five years? Raise your hand. Got a few people in the room on that? All right, cool. Um, so I want to kind of try to ping pong around um, any questions you guys have super dynamic super open to talk about whatever I'm pretty much an open book though when it comes to life business whatever it might be so if you have questions there's nothing uh, too inappropriate to ask I'll pretty much answer anything you could possibly ever think of or want to know um, super open and transparent about any of it I'm sure some of these guys in the room will have a few of them um, <laughs> but uh, one of the big things though uh, like Matt said, I started Drive in about 2012, um, had zero funding, <clears throat> went to Missouri State, local St. Louis guy, grew up in South County, mom's a single, hair, single mother hairdresser, uh, dad was an immigrant from Syria who was evading and leaving the civil wars over there, um, but raised by my mother, grew up super dirt poor in South County, nothing, absolutely nothing at all. Um, Started doing that, did a lot of event marketing for Red Bull, threw some parties in college, realized that I thought I wanted to open and start a bar. Uh, so when I was 22, uh, built a bar for my college project. Uh, it's a little place in Soulard. Ended up realizing being a bar owner sucks, right? <laughs> it's very difficult to run a bar uh, that you drink at and hang out at all the time. Creates a really weird work-life balance for you, right? Um, so I understood early that that wasn't my calling, that's not what I wanted to do. I didn't really find a lot of fulfillment in that. Um, and kind of started figuring out where the hole in the gap in the market is, right? What should I do? After I got out of that, um, my biggest thing that I wanted to focus on is where was the opportunity at in order to scale something that no one else was really doing yet. If you guys remember though, back in 2012, the iPhone just came out in 2009. <laughs> So starting an advertising agency, specifically social media dominant, in 2011, 2012 was pretty much insane um, because iPhones just came out. <laughs> so social and digital was just transferring from a desktop computer, uh, you know, where Matt sat in his mom's basement, you know, on a CRT TV, thick yellow thing, and sat there and talked to girls on AIM, you know? And then it transformed into, you know, he's still, he's still on AIM. It's like, Pimp Daddy 12, I think, was your AIM name. Um, so it was really transforming, though, and I saw the kind of a shift where the attention span was going and then putting it in the palm of your pocket. Um, I'm a huge component. I love to focus on businesses that are human-based, right? Because you don't have a product. We sell air. That's it. It takes a nerd and a MacBook, and a cool guy or girl to go sell the product, right? And we sell air. We sell ideas, we sell thought processes. Um, so scalability becomes easier than what I thought in the beginning. And that was one of my big first life lessons, is that there's never the right time to scale. Never is. There will always be reasons why you shouldn't scale, why it's going to disrupt you, why it's not the right time. You know, those are all just excuses. From my first office to my second office, um, we wasted about five years. And then we started to realize that, hey, it's never gonna be the right time. When we opened our, our second office in Nashville specifically, um, it, it was kind of like a roll of the dice 
my VP of operations, who's my VP of operations now, she's now my COO. Um, she was married, uh, and you know, she called me, she's like, I'm having a kid. And we were at that age where I was like, is this good or bad, right? <laughs> and so she's like, it's good, my husband. All right, okay, cool, all right. And she's like, bad news is though, I'm moving to Nashville, right? We're in St. Louis. You gotta be here to work here. And so I kind of just spewed it out because I talk a lot off the cuff, and I was like, we'll open in Nashville, right? And then we started opening an office in Nashville. Because one of the big things that you have to think about in life, and there's gonna be a lot of people that come into it, um, some people in your life for a reason, some stay for a season, and some stay for a lifetime, right? And you really have to be evaluating that when you're looking at your employees. Is this person here for a season? Are they here for a reason? For a change that I need to make personally as a leader, right? Or are they here for a lifetime, you know? And a lot of those people that you're gonna work with or partner with or be employees for, right? You're just the reason for a mind shift moment. But that few 3% of people that are here for a lifetime, you do whatever the fuck it takes to keep that person to make that person happy, and you treat them like a partner even though they're not, right? And I, I really do live Live, 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 live by that. Um, I take a deep invested relationship with each one of my business partners, which are my employees, right? They're my partners. Without my partners, without my coworkers, without my employees, I would be nowhere. You know, now as we've scaled, I have 210, 215 employees across the country, uh, between St. Louis, Nashville, Miami, Atlanta, Tampa's opening in like three months, and Dallas is opening in February. Uh, then we're moving to Scottsdale and San Diego. But those people, though, that are with me for a lifetime are the people who are moving around the country for me, right? Uplifting their lives and moving across the board. It's easy to sell social media. It's easy to sell whatever your widget is. It's much more difficult to sell someone's life, right? And that's what you are doing as a leader, is you're selling someone to follow your life mission and your life goal, right? And that's one of the big reasons why whenever I find those employees that are here for a lifetime, that I do whatever it takes to keep them happy and to push them in the direction they need to go to, because that employee is giving up their goals, you know, their ideas, their dreams, to help hop on your train and run with it. And so I really do believe in that, that a lot of people are here for a lifetime, a reason, or a period of time. Now, it becomes challenging though, as you're scaling this, to determine what people are here for what. Right? And making sure that they stay on that trajectory is a very difficult thing. You know, over the past 10 years that I've done this, probably have had 600, 700 employees. And there's a lot of them that I thought they were gonna be here for a lifetime, and they weren't. They weren't the right fit. They were only here for a season. And so you really have to think about that and focus on that, is how do I identify those warning signs that someone's going from a lifetime to a season and how to identify if somebody's going from a season to a reason, right? And those life lessons, those coaching moments. A lot of times as humans, we stick our heads in the sand and ignore all the warning signs that are going around us. You know, I know every single guy in this room can speak to that with their boyfriends, girlfriends, whatever the fuck you're into. And you think that something's not an issue and brewing and brewing and brewing, you're ignoring it because you're so focused and busy on something else. And then what happens is though you change people's career trajectories and their path and then where they're going with you, right? By ignoring that, by being too busy. 
And that's one of the biggest things I always preach to my partners, my company, my employees, my clients, is that no one is actually busy, right? With a show of hands, how many of you guys watched the Squid Games? Right? Good half the group. How many of you guys watch Netflix? Right? Raise your hand. Everybody in the room. So no one is actually fucking busy, right? And that's the first thing you have to realize in, in life and sales is that everybody likes to plan and pretend that they're busy, right? I've got 200-something employees. We do 30-something million dollars coast to coast, and I still play NHL 2022, right? <laughs> Find me on PlayStation, Josh Sam 30, I'll beat you. Uh, <laughs> but I still have time to do that. I still have time to travel, have a girlfriend in California, and then go across the country and do all this stuff. You know, this morning I woke up in Cali in LA at 4 a.m., hammered out a bunch of meetings, flew here, hopped right off the plane, did two meetings, then another talk right before this, and now I'm here with you guys, and I'm going to dinner with four more employees right after that. So you always have more time, right? But the big thing that poor people say is, I don't have time and I don't have money. What I call that is dead in the water. So if you're somebody that doesn't have a lot of money, doesn't have a lot of capital, you're trying to start something up or grow into something, you better have a fuck ton of time. Because if you don't have time and you don't have money, you will never go anywhere. Now, if you have time and you have money, you can get lightning in a bottle and move fast, right? So you gotta be thinking about that for yourself. Which one is it? And back when I started my Nashville office, you know, I had a lot of time. I didn't have a lot of money. I had almost no money when I did that. You know, I dumped every dollar that I had left over into that market to open that office up there. You know, and we started with a, a very, very small, <laughs> it was like a musician recording studio. Uh, if you guys are familiar with downtown Nashville, um, it's right downtown, it's, uh, I forget what it was, but Exit 6, like music studio. And they had people literally recording guitars and were on like client meetings in a room next to them that was like the size of a closet. Just to get that office up and running, we dumped everything into it. But I had a shit ton of time. So I would drive from St. Louis to Nashville, and I would do some meetings in the morning in St. Louis, get in the car, drive to Nashville, do employee meetings after hours when I got there. It's a four-hour drive, five-hour drive. And the next morning, do meetings, takeovers, selling deals, and then head back, ride in the car, drive back to St. Louis. Because I had time, I didn't have money, right? And then the money starts stacking, now you're taking 45-minute flights. Then I start closing deals in two cities at the same time. And that's where you gotta really dive in and grab those employees that are there for a reason, right? And there's a lot of employees that taught me a lot of valuable lessons over the years of what loyalty really means, what loyalty really looks like. You know, and I would say one of my biggest mistakes as an owner that I made is that I would constantly do whatever I could to make employees happy whenever they brought it to me, but then bastardize those lifelong employees that were there for the lifetime because they didn't complain, right? And so what ended up happening was I started creating a culture, though, of complainers. The more you complain, the more you get, right? And the people that are good to you, the less they get because they're just being normal people and not sacks of shit like the other people are. <laughs> it took me years to figure this out, though. I spent a ton of money chasing after people to try to make them happy that really were just there for a reason, right? Recruit better, hire better, interview better, be fast to fire, slow to hire, right? A lot of those mentalities came from that. 
But when you're scaling those businesses, you always have to go back to those core principles and really, really think about that and really put yourself in the position of not just your customer, but your employee. I'm so, so, so heavily employee focused and centric now. And a lot of the line level people in my company don't even realize it because I'm passing it down now through multiple layers of people, right? But my whole focus right now as a boss isn't at client acquisition. It's employee acquisition. It's retaining and flipping employees from being there in the moment to being there for a season and then being there for a lifetime. I want lifetime employees. I want it to be like, this is my only career. I have no other options. And I like to tell some of my sales guys this, I will ruin you. You will never be allowed to go get a job anywhere else because you are so groomed for my organization, you are fucked. <laughs> because once that happens though, you have a lifetime employee now. They're unhirable because they are groomed specifically for you. Um, and so over the years though, it's taken me many, many years, it costs a shit ton of money to go into that, that, that thought process, that ideology, but the faster you realize that no one's actually busy, the faster the excuses start falling off. And so what I like to do with a lot of my leaders at Drive is I'll tell them, write on a board, right? Go on the board and on your piece of paper, write down 40 years from now, what do you look like? Are you still a little fat, right? You more in shape? What are your hobbies? What are your goals? You married? you're not married, where do you want to be in 40 years from now? What does that version of you look like? What does the best version of you look like 40 years from now? Not just the version you think you're going to be, but what does the best version of you look like, right? Maybe Matt gets hair transplants and all of a sudden he's got like long dreadlocks or whatever going on, right? Totally that confidence. But now think about that for your business or think about that for your personal income. Where do you want to be 40 years from now in your personal income? 30 years from now in your personal income. 20 years from now for some of the guys that are a little bit older, right? Where do you want to be at financially? Take that number down, write it down. How do I do it in 10? Time or money, right? How do I do this in 10 years? And then that's your goal. Your goal for 10 years should not be what your 10-year goal is. Your goal for 10 years should be what your two or three year. Your 10-year your goal should be your two or three year goal, right? Your 30 or 40 year goal should be your 10-year goal. How do I do it faster? Because being busy is just an illusion, right? No one is actually ever busy. You don't need the 30 years. You don't need the 40 years to do it. So for me, my goal was to get drive to $100 million, right? That was my, that was my 30-year goal, is to get drive to $100 million. Um, didn't do it in 10, uh, a, lot of bumps along the, a lot of bumps along the way, a lot of life lessons, a lot of learning experiences, a lot of, a lot of blood, sweat, tears, and cries. Um, but I figured out what the foundation is, right? Originally when we started this, our thought process was we open one hub, we open one office, and we service that one office, and we'll do everything virtually, right? The virtual world will really get us there. But the one thing that we fucked up on, though, is we discredited the human condition. I want you to touch somebody, right? I want you to talk to somebody. I want you to break bread with somebody. I want you to get a cocktail with somebody. I want you to get a dinner with somebody. And we realized this, you know, year four, year three, or year four at Drive, and we created a position around this called the Chief Experience Officer. And so we really started going really deep into the human factor, right? We're a digital ad agency. We sell air, 
but we have to have physical buildings so that way people can build those human relationships, right? Bringing back in to the real life element to sales and business because everybody wants to go on a Zoom meeting. Everybody wants to get a Zoom call. How many of you guys did a Zoom meeting this week? Raise your hand. How impersonal is it? Right? Like, yeah, you all want to work from home because you get to wear comfy pants, right? You just wear a shirt up top and you wear swim trunks down below, right? But you're not really paying attention. You're not connecting with that person. I took a meeting last week for my pool in LA, right? That shouldn't happen. How can you ever bond with somebody and really give them a good service or good product or really care about them if you don't even care to put fucking pants on? And so we realized this though early on that, it, that the technology was pushing people this way and a lot of my competitors were going national but just having hubs and outbound calling from there. And so we wanted to flip it and do the inverse of it, go back to the basics and do it all in person. So that way we can have a competitive advantage just being in real life. And then we started to slap experiences into it. So one of the things that we're more notorious for with our clients is that we have a chief experience officer and their entire job is only to try to figure out what's something cool that this person would like. And let's do it, no matter the cost. Right, cost aside, clients are clients. It's not this one pays me this much money, this one pays me this much money, it's a client, it's a client. What can we do that's a cool experience for us? So we've taken clients everywhere from skydiving, right, to NBA games, to hitting baseballs in Bush Stadium, to skating at the Enterprise Center on the ice and shooting goals. Anything and everything you could possibly ever imagine, we've, we've tried and attempted to do with our clients, um, with unlimited expenses with it, behind it. And the thought process with it is, is one of two things will happen. Either I'll get a partner for life, that will always remember their experience with me as long as I give a good service, as long as I give a good product, I'll have a partner for life because no other vendor is gonna match that relationship. Or, I'm gonna get employed for life because how many jobs do you get to go skydiving for free to go hang out with the client? As long as I get one of those two from those transactions and don't go broke doing it, right? That builds relationships for life and hopefully I can kill two birds with one stone. And so we really duplicated that across the company though on pushing and expansion out is making our focus of our business the humans inside of it and not as much about the profitability, right? It's all about the human side of it. Now, you still have to take profit in consideration, right? You still have to take money home. That's my job, not my employee's jobs, right? So I have to figure out that puzzle. I've got to crack that code as the leader. Anybody have any questions yet? Questions? Bueller? Anything? Do you have any uh, extra open spots for that four-person dinner after this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can come with us. Yeah. Tim, <laughs> so you can call your and see if we can bump up with you. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, we'll do it. No, you're coming to dinner now. <laughs> um, I got a question. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, you started in 2012, right? Correct. So 10 years on the dot? Yep. What did Josh looked like in 2012, both physically. Fat. And Fat as fuck. Thank you. Uh, but more importantly, mentally, right? Like, going from that to not only where the company is now, where you are now, how has, I mean, we, we talked about the money, how that shifted, obviously, drives a lot bigger, your pocket was bigger. What is your mentality? How has your mentality shifted in terms of your confidence, uh, 
uh, and just in terms of who you are as an individual in 10 years in doing that? I mean, I was a child. When I first started Drive, I was legitimately a, a fat child. You know, I was about 285 pounds. I'm about 190 right now. Um, I was super out of shape, super out of weight. I used to live at the Laurel off Wash Ave, uh, for my people that are familiar, right next to the dome. I'd get winded walking here. I'm like, oh my God, it's a long walk. I think it's like three blocks. Um, so I was really, really, really out of shape. And I was mentally lazy. I was super mentally lazy. Like I knew I had something that I wanted to do, and I knew I had a product, but I couldn't figure out how to expand and sell past myself. And so that's really one of the big reasons why I brought in a partner. You know, I thought I needed capital, but I really needed a babysitter. Um, and so when I started the business myself, you know, I, I, you know, it's kind of, most people know about this now. When I sold the bar, I, I took a shit ton of money, went to Vegas, blew like 75 grand and had no backup plan at like 22, 23 years old. And then came back and said, like, oh no, I need money to live. Uh, so back against the wall mentality is how I like to play it. Back was against the wall, and I had a few employees. I brought over one of my fraternity brothers uh, from Missouri State, who was working at Stiefel at the time, um, brought him over to work full time for me, and that took pretty much all my profit to do that. So I started going out and selling. I wasn't a salesperson. And so I thought, okay, well, I gotta start selling. I gotta figure out the sales thing. So I started juicing my personal network, selling it a lot. Um, and then we got to a point, though, where I was either going to have to move back in with my mom, and at being 24 years old, that's not too cool for your sex life, right? Like, come to my mom's basement in South County. We'll have a good time. I promise you I'm an entrepreneur. It's a real business. <laughs> right? <laughs> wow. So I was like, OK, well, that's probably not going to fly for my personal life. That's not going to be too cool. Or I have to go out there and raise, raise money. And you know, my business partner, Andrew, um, is a complete psychopath. And I, I, I met him randomly through a girlfriend at the time. And she's like, you guys really hit it off. You should talk to each other. And I, I kind of gave him the pitch on what we do. He's like, well, uh, let me see you give somebody a demo. I was like, what's a demo? <laughs> He's like, like, how do you explain it to clients? I was like, oh, OK. He's like, do you have like, a deck? I was like, what's a deck? <laughs> yeah, that's where I started. And uh, so we went to Bobby's place. <laughs> He's a really very, uh, very funny man. So he makes me go to Bobby's place with my girlfriend at the time and his girlfriend. He's like, OK, girls, go sit at Q on Main Street. And then uh, I'm going to go watch him do this, this thing over at Bobby's place. And both, both the girls are never met each other. This is a very confusing scenario, you know. Um, so we go to Bobby's place, and I'm pitching the owners of Bobby's place at the time. And we had to be fast, though, because Drew wanted to go to the Zach Brown Band concert uh, afterwards. So he's like, all right, we've got to do this in 45 minutes, though, because we're going to miss the concert. I'm like, OK. Uh, so I, I started demoing and pitching them on it. And they, they signed up at the moment in time. It was like we were offering our services for like five or 600 bucks a month. Put in perspective now, we charge like you know $3,800 our average retainer for our clients packages, you know, up to $8 million, you know, as low and our lowest package is $3,300 now. Um, at the time, it's like five, six hundred bucks or something like that. We were charging people weekly, um, you know, they could pay us however form they wanted to, it didn't matter. And then right after that, they said, like, Yeah, sure, we'll sign up and do it. And I was like, Okay, great, let's do it. And he's like, Do you have contracts? I was like, I don't have contracts. We just, we just kind of start doing stuff. It's like, okay. He's like, I'll give you a million dollars right now for half the business. And to me, I'm sitting there thinking in my head, it's like, what a fucking sucker, right? <laughs> I just sold him half my business for a million dollars, and I only have like a couple hundred thousand dollars in clients with no contracts, no real systems. And I told him, I was like, I'll take the money from you, but like, how are we going to get more people? 
And he's like, we'll sign a contract. As soon as we sign a contract, I'll explain to you how you do sales. And so, signed the contract, puts a million dollars in the account. I'm like, fuck yeah, this is awesome, right? I just went from zero to hero. I don't have to move back with my mom. All problems are solved. Um, not a big deal at all. And then he said, here's what you're going to do. Say, take out a piece of paper, write this down. Like, you're going to pick the phone up and fucking call. I was like, what? He's like, yeah, go on Google and find every business you can and just start calling and say, what are you doing? Hey, can I come out there and show you what we're doing? And he's like, that's all you have to do. And so we literally went back to his apartment at the time, which was also on Watch Ave, and uh, like, watch. Pulls up Yelp, pulls the first bar and restaurant up. It's like, hey, my name's Andrew from Drive Social Media. I wanted to come out there and talk to you about how you can make money off social media marketing. Can I come by today, 30 minutes, 40 minutes from now? Per first person said, nope, hung up the phone. It's like, huh, look at that, it didn't work. Then two or three more times and booked a meeting. It's like, holy shit, it is literally that easy of just picking up the phone and calling and asking people, what are you doing? At the time, a million dollars seemed like a really good deal. 10 years later, I've paid the guy out 15, 16 million dollars over the past 10 years, right? So who's the sucker now? I paid a million dollars to learn how to pick a phone up. Right? So you really have to let that set in. It's the best decision I ever made, though. The second best piece of advice that man ever gave me, though, was you will not make a fucking penny off this company for the first four years. So pick a salary you're comfortable living with, and I'll give you that for the first four years, and you will make not a penny over it. I don't care if you have employees you have to pay more than you. I don't care if you think you deserve more money. I don't care if we have $15 million in the bank account. You will take not one penny in dividends until year four. By that time, I had been so numb to spending money on making my life and my job easier, time, right? I'm paying for more time, that I stopped looking at the PL on how much money are we profiting in because it didn't do anything for me. I'd rather spend it so that way I had more time and I could move faster. So that way year four came, I actually had a real business involved, right? And at that moment in time, year four came around, we had a couple million dollars in the bank account, right? And I went from making $75,000 to overnight having access to a million dollars plus in capital and my own bank account from all that. But what I also did though, because of that life lesson, I had five employees at my own company that made more money than I did. More money than the CEO did. Five employees. A lot of people don't have the balls to do that. To pay the people that are reporting directly underneath them more money than themselves for long-term gain. And by doing that though, that's how you build those employees for life, right? Three of those five employees still work for me that were making more money for me, more money than me back then. And that was eight, nine years ago. And they're still here at Drive to this day because of that. Because they knew that. They knew that I was paying them more money than I was even taking home myself. And so that's how you start to really build and create a, a core leadership culture, right, that can really take it across the country is by applying a lot of those lessons and stop looking at your business like a bank account. And those are some of the biggest mind shift moments that I had when I first started the company. I was thinking so heavy about how can I make a dollar for myself as opposed to how can I make a dollar for my company and how can I spend that dollar on somebody else to make me more dollars back in, right? To the point now where, where what, how many people are trying to recruit right now for sales? How many people? Anybody know? 
20-something? 20-something people right now, right? That's equivalent to, like, how much money in salaries is that, Ish? Good chunk of change, right? On that. And, and I'm begging Matt to do his job. Like, Matt, please fucking get me people, right? And so I'm begging people to take my money because it's going to then pay back off in the long term, the long scheme of things. So you have to stop focusing on living inside of your business and focusing on scaling the business first. And that's one of the big pieces I always talk to my employees about is like work-life balance. Work-life balance is for fucking old people. I hate to break it to you guys. If you're under 50 years old, shut the fuck up about work-life balance. Why are you selling yourself this myth? You wake up in the morning, you go work out, you did that for yourself. Guess what? You go to the office, you go across the street, you fuck around, that's for yourself. You eat lunch, that's for yourself, right? You go home, you eat dinner, you watch Netflix. All those things are for yourself. If you have a 40-year career ahead of you, Right, you're 20 years old, you retire when you're 60. That's young. Retire at 60 is young, right? Grant Cardone's like 67 and he's still fucking going. And so you gotta realize though, if you work from 20 to 60, that's 40 years. Why the fuck are you worried about work-life balance in the first 10 years of your career? Crazy to me, right? That's for the back half of your career. That's Albert Pujols coming back to St. Louis bad as shit just trying to jack home runs for $2.5 million. Right? That's the back half of your career. That's your work-life balance. It is not on the front end of your career. And so when you hear people say that to you, I'm sorry, you're just not a good fit for me. Right? You're not a good fit for me. I work 90 to 100 hours a week regularly, but I love what I do. And that's why you have to find something that you love what you do. But when you find those employees, again, that are under the age of 50, and they're talking to you about work-life balance, you have one or two options. Fire them immediately, or teach them what real work-life balance is, starting heavy with work and easing as your career goes. Not work-life balance for 23, right? That doesn't make any fucking sense. You gotta take the approach of fire immediately, or coach and train and mentor and, and do all of these things with them. A lot of times to get people to understand that though, you have to have them hold your pocket, right? You're gonna come hang out with dad for a week. You're gonna see what I do every single day because it's not as easy as you think it is. You gotta give them a look behind the curtain if you really want that employee to work out. But the other thing you gotta think about though is the reason why this happens is like the same thing as horses, right? I'm gonna tie work-life balance into horses today for you, Matt. So you gotta think about this, right? Because have you guys seen a horse when they tie it up outside of a bar in a Western movie and they just like take like this little silly fucking knot, like whoops, here's this 2,500 pound animal and I'm tying it up with like a little fucking shoestring. You guys see that in like Western movies and stuff, right? Does that make sense to you? How do they do it? Does anybody know how they do that? Training. Training, right? When they're really young, what, are, what do you call it, a young horse? <laughs> when they're really young, though, they can't rip the thing out of the fucking poles. They tug, they tug, they tug. They can't pull the pole out of the ground. So as the animal grows and gets bigger, it just sees you tying the knot, thinks it can't do anything, can't rip the whole bench off the wall, and it stays tied up. That's what work-life balance does for you. That's what salaries do for employees. And you have to break that thought process with people 
or else they're going to think the rest of their life that this is what they should do. This is what they're going to amount to do. This is who I am. You have to break all those habits that schools teach people, right? That, you know, CNN teaches people, right? That the media teaches people. Because if you don't, you're going to create a cancer fucking nightmare. So I always focus on making sure that whenever I'm doing one-on-ones with my employees, the people that report directly to me, right, I'm always super focused on, do you like what you're doing? Do you want to quit me and become a firefighter, right? What are, where are you going at with your life? What makes you tick? What are you looking to buy right now? And really trying to help them understand that, how usually more work will lead to a better result. Um, I've gotten so crazy to this point in time with a lot of this stuff, is I start making deals with employees, and I've started making deals with employees now where I've guaranteed them salaries. And say, hey, yeah, you wanna make $140,000 this year? I'll guarantee you the $140,000. No matter what you do, guarantee that you do it. What happens is that person feels so fucking indebted from me doing that and giving them exactly what they want, they end up hitting it on their own, naturally. Because the risk is now off their back, right? And it's trying to figure out what the obstacle is to remove that. And again, I only do that type of stuff for my lifelong people, right? The people that are staying with me for life. I would never do that for a person that's here for the moment. But if I have somebody that's a lifelong person and they need $140,000 for whatever reason they waved their magic wand that day and said, I want 140 grand today. If I can give them that guarantee and they are that person to me, nine times out of 10, that person is going to do exactly what they, what they would have done anyway, is hit the goal, and it doesn't even matter. Or you give somebody a little extra money one year earlier to keep that lifelong employee, right? To prevent him from quitting to become a firefighter, right? And that's one of the big things you gotta really focus on is identifying those people and figuring out what makes them tick. Time, good? Something like that, plus my SQ. But you've had 700 to 800. Yeah. Right? And so clearly one of the big indicators is all right, if someone's under 50 and they're talking about work life balance, all right, either got to coach them up or coach them out. Yep. But for early on, like you had a couple of those lifers which were great, they saw your vision early on. But for those people that didn't see your vision, and for a lot of people in here, including myself, who have employees or don't have nearly the amount that you do, I guess how. Yeah. I'm the wrong person to ask that question to because I almost had a mass exodus like two years into my company, honestly. So Facebook had a big change, a big strategy shift. They went from uh, an Autoroll algorithm where they showed all the content to everybody and they switched to uh, an EdRank algorithm. And so non-nerdy stuff, what that means is when you post shit on Facebook, no one sees it anymore, right? So we identified this and I went to the whole company and I was like, listen, Ads came out, we're pivoting the entire company overnight. We used to do non-paid posts. No more, we're not doing that anymore. All 15 of our clients, right? We're not doing that anymore. It's stupid, it doesn't work anymore, technology's changed, we're doing paid ads now. We're gonna call every one of our clients and tell them they have to pay us $300 more a month, and so we can strip this paid ad strategy, we're on 100% pay to play. Out of all of our employees, like 80% of them 
started a mutiny and said they were on a walkout and quit at the exact same time. Said I was absolutely insane and crazy. Called my business partner, like he needs to be out, he needs to be gone, right? He's, he's lost his mind, he's tethered off the planet, this will never work. My business partner sent me down, he's like, how confident are you in it? I was like, I'm 100% confident in it. What ended up happening is 50% of the staff left and quit. 50% overnight, left. The other 50% that stayed, we built 100% around them, right? And those 50% of people, just for a fun fact for you guys, the 50% of those people that, that quit and left, none of them are even doing remotely close to what they would have been doing in my company. The people that were and that did stay are making over $300,000 a drive now. Those other people that quit and left, not even remotely close to it. So it, it really is about purging out those people and letting those people walk. Right? A lot of times as a leader, as an owner, people aren't going to understand your vision. You have to be laser focused, you have to know your shit. Right? Most of those people, 90% of those people aren't going to understand where you're going with it because they're in the bottom of the Titanic. And they're telling you, oh, you know, we're fine, we're not going to hit a rock, no big deal. They can't even see the fucking water. And so you have to remember that as an owner that's in tune with their business, you don't have to listen to everybody's opinion, just the people that are your core, right? that are going to always be there for you. And so it's more about weeding out the people that don't support that ideology than it is about vetting anything else and building around, right? Fast to fire, slow to hire. Anything else? I'll answer anything. What's up, Josh? How you doing, bud? Hunger. Like, did you ever hit a goal like, from a revenue perspective? You know, what, what made you, you obviously love what you do, but what kind of made you get up and tick and drive? You know, Being a piece of shit from South County. Right, yeah, being a piece of shit in South County. Right? I remember, honestly, that's how I am, though. Like, I grew up in South County, dirt poor, right? I went to Melville High School, if you guys are familiar. Like, I didn't go to a fancy high school. I didn't go to a fancy college. I went to Missouri State. Um, and, like, I just remember going to, like, Napoli, being 21, and then everybody looked at you like, why the fuck are you here? You know? And I just wanted to bury those people into the ground. So much to the point today that Napoli's one of my clients now. Um, but I just wanted to bury those people in the fucking ground, the mommy and daddy money. And it's like, I will not stop until I've proven to every single one of those people, it doesn't matter you went to Viani or to Smet or wherever Matt went. Um, where'd you go? St. Mary's. Mary's, that's right. Doesn't matter what school you went to, doesn't matter how rich your parents were, like, you will not outwork me at all, ever. Um, like, I'm really weird about celebrating victories. Like, I don't do it. I don't like attention. I hate it I, at all. Like, it does not match my personal brand. I don't like it in the professional world. Like, I don't celebrate any victories. Like, people are like, we just opened another office. What are you going to do to celebrate? Like, nothing. I'm going to go to sleep. <laughs> you know, so I don't really celebrate a lot of victories. But the thing that always just keeps me going is every time I hear a story of somebody that came from money, that talked shit or put down somebody who did it, it just makes me fuels it even harder for me on like putting a chip on my shoulder. Yeah. What's your exit strategy? Uh, death, maybe? <laughs> um, no, really. Uh, once we get to the $100 million marker, once we, so 10 offices gets me to 100 million, so that's the reason why we're trying to rapidly expand. $10, $10 million per office, 16 salespeople equate to that, four pods get me there. And so I've got a math formula pretty much chalked up to get to the 100 million. Once we approach that 100 million point, um, you know, or getting close to that 100 million point, I'll feel like, you know, my job here is done. You know, I, I did it. I'll stay involved as, uh, on, on the board, we'll develop a board. I think our goal is like 70 million. We're gonna develop a board. 
This year we should do about 52 million. Uh, if we hit our trajectory and our growth rate, we should do about 52 this year, hopefully. Um, around 70, we'll start electing a board, and then around 100, I'll start to exit out um, of, of the company and probably shift further into our software company um, or start something else. I've been doing this 10 years. Um, it, it's, it, it gets a little bit, uh, little bit difficult to find the passion, you know, every day saying the same thing over and over and over again. But more so than that, it's everybody else, it's their time, right? You know, I don't ever want to be the owner that stays walking around the hallways like, you know, shackles clacking, you know, like Ebenezer Scrooge. You know, I want to be able to get out whenever time is fit, but not so much on my clock, more so on the development below me. You know, because if not, I'll lose those people, right? So I've got to carve those positions open for them, more so than for my own sanity. Um, but my goal is, is right around that $70 million marker to start building that exit strategy and succession plan, and then looking internally, looking externally, how does that look like, and then developing that board and then taking a board and an advisory role to it. So that way I can spend more time on my software company, um, public speaking stuff. You know, we're talking about a book right now uh, with me and Steve and John. So focusing on those other projects that I've been kind of bastardizing is something I really need to do. What's your growth rate right now? By percentage or dollars? Growth uh, by percentage. By percentage, what did we do last year? You know the Ink Award stuff. It's like 17% uh, growth, growth rate. 117% growth rate last year. That's for 17%. How drunk are you today? I've been here all day. I've been here all day. cost me 2.3 million dollars before I started profiting in Nashville. Um, uh, Miami cost me 1.7 before I started profiting Miami. Our Atlanta office was 519,000 before we started profiting. Of course, so, 100%, right? And so that's when we started really, and the reason why we started scaling faster is because now we have more human capital to pull from. Because before we were just tapping our St. Louis leadership and just purging straight to the new market. Now when we open a new market like our Tampa office, has a few people relocating from St. Louis, a few from Miami, a few from Nashville, one from Atlanta. So we're not draining resources anymore to open a new market. So it makes opening those markets cheaper because we're starting with more tenured people that have already worked at our company. And I'll pretty much do whatever I can to get those, those employees to move. You know, I'll cut whatever deal that I have to cut with them. You know, whether or not I have to fly you back and forth between St. Louis and Dallas every week, right? Whether or not I have to give you a crazy signing bonus. You know, whatever, it would let you tackle me in the back drunk, right? Whatever it is. <laughs> whatever it is. Whatever it is. I'll, I'll get you to doubt somewhere. Was there anything specifically that helped you get the mindset that you, you currently have outside of just doing? Doing, honestly. As weird as it sounds, it's funny because people ask me at all times, like, what books do you read? Mm -hmm. um, and it's like, I get that all. This number one question I always get asked, what books do you read? None. I read nothing. Um, I really don't. And I get, I get that people laugh at me all the time for it because I talk to all these business owners and high-level employees, like C-level employees, and they have like all this contradicting ideology. And it's like I'll hear a little Tony Robinson shit, and then I'll hear a little Grant Cardone stuff, and then I'll hear some crazy Wolf of Wall Street shit. It's like this doesn't make sense at all. 
And then what ends up happening is people have this ball of ideology and none of it fits together anymore. That's really confusing to your employees, right? And so it's a very expensive way to learn. You know, let me give you that. It's a very expensive way to learn, but I learn a lot faster by fucking my own stuff up. Um, and the bigger the fuck up, the faster I can move, right? So when I lose an employee that's a super important key role person employee to me, I run the other direction a thousand, a thousand miles an hour, spend a ton of money to try to undo what I did and bring more talent in differently, right? So <laughs> my friend Matt in the back, uh, whenever we brought Matt on to be our recruiter, Matt's like, you, you needed me like two years ago, right? And I was like, give me everything that I can. And then he told me the price, like, give me a little bit of what I want. <laughs> and, and then now to, the day, to this day, though, Matt's got me on this recruiting train where it's like, you hire me 10 internal recruiters. I want to pay you to manage them and all this stuff because those mistakes that I made on recruiting had cost me so millions and millions of dollars. Well, now I'm more willing to dump whatever it is to avoid any conflict like that ever happening again. So I prefer to fuck my own stuff up because that makes me actually move faster than reading somebody else's ideology, in my opinion. So I've been at Drive like two years now, so you've grown up at Lane in Miami. I do notice at Lane that seems to be getting up faster in Miami and drive scaling a lot, which I feel like a lot of people in here are. What like internal mindset, policy, or like stuff you take from each office to apply your own to like make sure when you scale up other offices or scale up business to keep the quality the same level? Yeah, it's, a, it's more of a, it's a really good question, Patrick. It's a more of like a math equation, right? Business is math. You have to be good at math to be good at business. You could, you could fumble your way through a couple million bucks, don't get me wrong, for sure. We, you could, like we used to joke around, you could bro your way to 100 million. Uh, you can't, you can't bro your way to 100 million. You could bro your way to 3 million, 4 million. And so what ends up happening though is, is, is along the way we realized that, hey, this is just all math, right? And so with our Atlanta office, what we did heavily was we transferred clients to the Atlanta office so that way it would hit its profitability a lot faster. Plus we tripled our sales team bringing it in with the understanding that if we brought in a higher, more veteran operations team, they would be able to handle it. And so our director that we brought into Atlanta just got done opening our office in Miami. So he was kind of like weathered for the storm, right? He went to World War I and he's turned right back around and going and shipping back out. Um, so he kind of understood what was going to happen to him when we did it, and then we doubled our sales team going into it, and so that way we had the more tenured people on the operation side, the higher volume, the higher velocity of sales. If you guys are in like, um, like what we're in is we're in contract businesses, right? We have residual revenue from all of our partners. All of our partners go on 12-month, 18-month agreements. So when we start an office, we have no terminations for the first 12 to 18 months. And so that's our sweet spot. That's our, that's our opportunity to really jump as far as we can in that first 12 to 18 months because you have no clients that are burning off because no one can cancel because you're in commitments and contracts. Sure, you have a handful of people that are pieces of shit and don't pay their bills, right? It's got to happen. But for a, for a majority part of it, you have no attrition yet. And so our thought process is move as fast as we can before attrition kicks in so that way once attrition kicks in, you're already good. Um, and so we really just look at it from a math perspective of how many business developers do we need to bring in versus what our attrition rate will be based off historical data in 12 to 18 months, depending on term length, and then do the math on it where you want to be at. And that's our biggest goal. The other big shift that we've started to make is micro positions. And I really, 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 really ran with it. Before at Drive, there was just like, you were a graphic designer, and then you had a boss. What I've learned is that people prefer 
to get smaller micro incentives, even if they're fake bullshit titles, right? From a graphic designer to a senior graphic designer. It means fucking nothing, right? You get it just by breathing. And you get actually two, three grand here, but you get to go home to your mommy and daddy and say, I got a promotion. I'm a senior graphic designer now, right? And then now, though, you go and tell all your friends, your family, you got a promotion at work because who hides a fucking promotion? Now you have to have a positive sentiment, though, to every single person in your personal life. So it makes it really difficult for you to go home to bitch to your wife, husband, sister, plant, dog, whatever it is, and bitch about your job whenever you were just so excited about a promotion, right? So it buys you a little bit more tenure to help develop those employees that are kind of on the border if you want to keep them or not keep them. If they get some type of tenure raise, right, that everybody gets, but they feel special because they get a title change, and they can go tell everybody they got a title change, you buy a little bit more time for development, and then you keep scaling people up. And so now you have an organization like at Drive, you know, we we're going to have associate graphic designers, graphic designers, senior graphic designers, associate directors, directors, associate vice presidents, vice presidents. It's the same amount of money, but now there's seven different promotions you can get as opposed to one. And we've realized over the years that allowing those micro promotions makes so much more sense for us because that makes your employees a lot happier. But the biggest thing, though, is that makes them a beacon of like being a positive brand ambassador for your company. Because what do you do? You have a bad day at work. You go home and bitch to your spouse. Like, fuck, J5, work sucked today. All right, this is what fucking happened to me. And they go massage your fucking back, right, and tell you it's going to be all right. Those spouses cause more turnover at your company than you could ever fucking imagine, right? Stop dealing with Marshall, right? He's a fucking dickhead, right? Stop dealing with Rocky, he's a dickhead. Whatever it might be. And so you got to understand that those spouses are your biggest enemy. And how do you flip those people to now be advocates, right? Well, change the narrative between the employee and the spouse with promotions, cool shit, right? Cool events, cool parties, cool promotions, right? Trying to do all those things that you can for that employee at work. So when they come home, the spouse now becomes an owl. <coughs> Questions about that? Do you sail through the slow cold call? Oh yeah, fuck yeah. No, every, everybody, in my, everybody that's in my age demographic and breakdown thinks they can hide behind a computer screen. And so we pound the phones. We made 38,000 phone calls last month. I get tired of calling. <laughs> how does your uh, how does your company know when I turn on ads? They call me when I turn on Facebook ads. Uh, through the uh, uh, private what's called the info and ad section. So if you go to your Facebook page, click info and ads. Yeah, it's so I can't delete that or something. <laughs> you can't delete it. Well, <laughs> Facebook keeps it public. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, we make we we pound the phones. We do tons of phone calls. We get a lot of inbound too, but a majority of our stuff is just pounding the phones. Like, what are you doing? What's going on? Tell your people to get past the gatekeeper. Your gatekeeper. Yeah, I'm impossible to get a hold of. We look up cell phones. So we have a company called Fast People Search, and you type anybody's name into Fast People Search, I'll give you their cell phone number. And so we call directly to cell phones. Yeah, if you go to fastpeoplesearch.com, um, free cell phone numbers. And so fuck calling the business, we'll call you on your cell phone. When people are like, how'd you get my cell phone number? Like the internet. Like, oh, cool. <laughs> Time's up, Matt. <laughs>